Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Their workplace was attacked. Their lives in danger. Somehow that wasn't enough for Senate Republicans. The lead starts right now. Even the grieving mother of a fallen Capitol Hill police officer could not stop the Republican Party from fully embracing Donald Trump's big lie and blocking a bipartisan commission to investigate what went wrong on January 6th. The late officer Brian Sicknick's mother and his partner will join us to react in an interview you will only see on CNN. Then, it's the CDC guidance parents across the country have been waiting for for months. Do kids need to wear masks at summer camp. Plus, it's the first normal holiday weekend in more than a year, which means lots of planes, trains, and automobiles, but prepare for some stress as gas prices soar and masks remain a must on planes. Welcome to The Lead, I'm Jake Tapper. We start today with our politics lead, and even though it was almost guaranteed to fail, it was still stunning to watch almost every Senate Republican this afternoon block a bill which would have created a bipartisan commission to investigate what went wrong and what caused the Capitol riot. Only six Republicans sided with Democrats on today's vote. Bill Cassidy, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Rob Portman, Ben Sass, and, of course, Mitt Romney. Despite so many of today's nay votes having previously called for an investigation in the aftermath of January 6th, that was, of course, before... Donald Trump started making it clear that he opposed any closer look at what might have caused the attack on the Capitol. Eleven senators, we should point out, could not even have been bothered to vote at all. Nine Republicans, two Democrats. A reminder that while Republicans insist this investigation is unnecessary, at least 450 people have been charged for their roles in the insurrection so far, and Capitol Police officers are still trying to sound the alarm, warning that parts of the Capitol continue to be vulnerable to another attack. And security upgrades are needed right now, they say, to keep that from happening. Those individual criminal pursuits, however, well, they're not going to together create a wider look at what went wrong, at the lies and the propaganda that led to the deadly day. And lest we forget, this is not just about an attack on democracy, as if that weren't important enough. There is also the human toll of this tragedy consider. Four people died that day. Two law enforcement officers died by suicide afterwards. And more than 100 police officers were injured. Some very seriously and permanently. Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, of course, died in the aftermath of the attack. In just a few moments, his mother and his partner will join me to share their reactions to today's stunning vote and how they are hoping to continue to honor his legacy. As Republican Senator John Cornyn said back in February, quote, a 9-11 type investigation is called for to help prevent this from happening again, unquote. Cornyn, of course, voted no today. CNN's Ryan Noble starts our coverage from Capitol Hill. It may have taken a little bit longer than expected. 
three-fifths of the senators duly chosen and sworn not having voted in the affirmative, the motion is not agreed to. But the outcome was never in doubt. Republicans successfully blocking an attempt to form an independent commission to investigate the January 6th insurrection. The final vote, 54 to 35. 60 votes were needed to move the measure forward. But out of fear or fealty to Donald Trump, the Republican minority just prevented the American people from getting the full truth about January 6th. Six Republicans voted yes. Among them, Maine's Susan Collins, who attempted to make changes to the bill to bring her fellow Republicans on board. It was not enough. Louisiana's Bill Cassidy, who voted yes and voted to impeach former President Trump, warned his colleagues they will now lose a voice in future investigations. The investigations will happen with or without Republicans. To ensure the investigations are fair, impartial, and focused on facts, Republicans need to be involved. And Democrats are already hinting that is the direction they will go. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who made a number of concessions to get the bill over the finish line in the House, vowed she was not done investigating what happened on January 6th. Honoring our responsibility to the Congress in which we serve and the country which we love, Democrats will proceed to find the truth. But some Democrats believe the failure to find a bipartisan consensus on an issue like this speaks to a bigger problem with the Senate in general. Despite Democrats controlling the House and Senate, requiring 60 votes on almost every piece of legislation has bottled up a number of their priorities, leading senators like Ed Markey of Massachusetts to call on Democrats to blow up the system. They're not going to show up. And ultimately, we just have to come to the realization that that's going to require us to repeal the filibuster so that we can pass these bills with 51 votes so that Republicans cannot engage in obstructionism. Despite those growing calls for reform, moderate Democrats in the Senate, like Joe Manchin, remain unwilling to take that step. I'm not ready to destroy our government. I'm not ready to destroy our government, no. Meaning issues like police reform, voting rights, and potentially the big infrastructure bill will require significant GOP support in an environment where both sides are having a hard time finding common ground. And despite the gravity of this legislation, 11 members of the Senate chose not to be here today to vote on the measure. Uh, nine uh, Republicans and two Democrats just not showing up and some of them issuing statements as to why they could not vote and how they would have voted had they been there. For instance, Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania saying that he would have voted yes, despite that Republican being added to the number that voted with uh, the Democrats today, Jake, it would not have been enough to change the outcome. No, it would not have. Uh, Ryan Nobles, thanks so much. Joining me now to discuss the mother and the partner of fallen officer Brian Sicknick, Gladys Sicknick and Sandra Garza. Thank you so much uh, to both of you for being here. We really appreciate it. We know it's, it's not easy. You did not sign up to be uh, public speakers of, of this type. Um, I want to get to today's news in a, mo- in a minute, but, but let me just, I want to check in. Gladys, how are you doing? Okay. You're doing all right mm-hmm. today? Mm-hmm. What about you, Sandra? I'm doing okay. I'm glad to be here. Thank yep. you for having us. Oh, it's our honor. Um, Sandra, let me just start with you. What, what was your reaction when you saw the vote today that, that the Senate Republicans, um, with six exceptions, voted to block the creation of this commission? Well, I was very disappointed, obviously. I was uh, very optimistic and hopeful yesterday, um, but for 
you know, obviously, you know, some of them I was not surprised uh, that voted no. Uh, but still, clinging to that hope uh, based on our passionate pleas to them. Um, but I think, you know, it, it speaks volumes to how they really feel, not only about the events of that day, but they're also speaking volumes to their constituents, um, you know, and how much they really care. Uh, because it's not just our pleas about how we felt about Brian and, you know, his brothers and sisters in blue and everything that they did that day, but also the safety of them and everyone else that was in the Capitol that day. Um, If they can't do their jobs, if something happens to them, that also speaks volumes about, you know, how they feel about our democracy in general. How can they do their job if they are no longer here? What about you, Gladys? What was your reaction to the news today? I was disappointed, but I realized that was going to happen. I I really did. It it was just um, vibes that we got yesterday. uh, What were the vibes? I don't know, just... Just a feeling that, that you know, that they, they, did, they went through their motions, but you can tell that, you know, underneath they were being nice to us. Yeah. You know, we hear a lot about backing the blue uh, from politicians especially. We talk about the importance of backing our men and women in blue who protect us. Um, what does it mean in that sense? Because you know you're going to hear some of these 35 Republicans talk about in the future how important it is to back our men and women in blue. What, what will you think when you hear that? Unbelievable that they think like that. You know, it's just if they had a child that was hurt, what was killed on, on, on a day like that, they would think very differently. Or if they were hurt, I mean, they could have very well, somebody could have been killed, one of the congressmen, one of the senators, but apparently they just think, well, you know, we're safe because of the men in blue. But they don't think any further than that. What do you think? I mean, is, is, Gladys said it was a slap in the face to, to not have this commission created. I think, you know, it's all talk and no action. Uh, clearly, they're not back in the blue. Um, and yesterday, having Officer Fanon and Officer Dunn there to talk about their experiences, I mean, I even learned more about what actually happened on that day hearing their stories, you know, close and up front um, and live and in color. And I was absolutely appalled. Um, So, you know, they heard it firsthand. Some of that stuff has not been put out in the media. Um, And, you know, it's, it's devastating because, you know, they could have, especially Officer Fanon, um, he could have been murdered. Um, And, you know, This cannot happen again. It cannot. So for them to vote no is, you know, it's it's not protecting law enforcement. And, you know, more importantly, it's it's not protecting our democracy. You know, people there were not only hurting law enforcement officers. And then, of course, like I said yesterday, there's the ripple effect of trauma that's still continuing today. Oh, of course. Many officers, you know, are struggling with PTSD. And you're, people should know you're a psychotherapist, so this is something you yes, know about. Yes, yeah. yes, uh, I work with people all the time that struggle with PTSD. So I know how devastating and debilitating it can be. Um, you know, and then it's the family members that are struggling to pick up the pieces of that daily. 
but it's also those people were there to, you know, destroy the will of the people. They could have destabilized government as we know it. Uh, you know, the vice president was in the building. People were after uh, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. I mean, the it's just unbelievable to me that they could do nothing about this. And now is not the time to sit around and say, well, maybe we'll do something in the future. The time to do something is now. And again, I mean, though there was some tense moments yesterday, I'm hopeful that at least they'll be able to reflect on some of what we said as the days go on, and they'll be able to, you know, start to get the ball rolling fast and say, we need to do something now. And I think more importantly is to listen to the officers that were there that day on the ground, because there's this misconception that there was no firearms there, that those people in the crowd had no firearms. There were firearms there. And I'm talking about handguns, not just the you know, general term weapons. I'm talking about actual handguns. People had handguns on them. So, uh, you know, this is serious. This is serious stuff. I actually heard uh, the former D.C. police chief here that was on this network, yeah. uh, Charles Ramsey, that was talking about, you know, they need to get serious about this because, you know, some bad stuff is going to happen. And they need to take this seriously, if not for themselves, about the other employees that are in the Capitol, the staffers, the architect of the, ca- I mean, uh, yeah, the architect of the Capitol, um, I was very moved by uh, Senator Klobuchar's opening statement in the hearings yeah. when she talked about uh, the gentleman who hid in the closet that was part of the cleaning crew. Yeah, it's terrible. And he came out and had to clean up urine and feces in the building. Uh, you know, I mean, this is ridiculous. They need to do something and they need to act now. So Gladys, I know some of the, uh, Sandra just alluded to it, some of the moments in the meetings were, were tense. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one of the things that I think people don't, it doesn't really even matter, but Brian was a Republican. I mean, so it's not just turning their backs on an American, they're turning their back on a fellow Republican. Um, whatever you're comfortable with, tell me about the, the tense moments um, and the senator, with the senators that you met with. <laughs> you don't have to name them if you don't want no, to. No, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um... Just, they were very charming, and they, they knew what they were doing. They knew how to talk to us, and, um, but we kind of held back. <laughs> and it was just, it was, just, it was tense, and, and we just made believe, you know, everything was fine, and we were very nice to them, for the most part. <laughs> well, it was just tense because? Because, of, uh, because we knew, I think because we knew they weren't sincere. They weren't sincere. And they didn't want to get to the bottom of what happened. No, no. And I don't understand it. I, you know, we, we, they are elected for us, the people. And they don't care about that. They care about money, I guess, their pocketbooks. Their, their, so they'll be in front of the cameras when they feel like it. And um, they just don't care. And it's, it's not right. Sandra, were you surprised some of the senators didn't even agree to meet with you? No, I wasn't surprised. Um, you know, it's, it's much easier to do interviews with people who are not moved by their actions, uh, you, know, you know, by losing a family member or a loved one like Gladys and I were, right? Um, you know, to do something from afar. It's very different when you have to face someone 
who has been touched uh, personally uh, by something like Gladys and I were. Um, so, you know, it, you know, it's about having courage and a backbone and saying, you know, I'm willing to meet with you, which I respect those who were. Uh, even if they didn't agree with us, I still have respect for those who were, um, you know, and them willing to listen. And hopefully, you know, even though some of them did decide ultimately to vote no, uh, my hope is that they will eventually do something uh, because that needs to happen. Um, so, Gladys, um, you met with Senator Cassidy from Louisiana. Mm-hmm. He voted yes. Mm-hmm. You met with Senator Portman from Ohio. He voted, he voted yes. Senator Toomey had a family commitment. So he didn't vote, but he would have voted yes, he said. Does it mean, does that give you any sense of satisfaction that you may oh, have definitely. changed some minds? Definitely. I don't know how, were they on the, I don't know if they were on the fence or not. That I'm not sure of. Were they all on the fence? I'm not sure. Well, we only knew of three ahead of time that mm-hmm. were going to vote yes. Um, the Romney, Murkowski, and Collins. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, so three f- more voted so yes. Maybe we change their minds. That would be great. That would be great. It's not nothing. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, a bipartisan majority did vote to create the commission. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't enough well, at the end. Yeah, what bothers me is that the, all these people that are, um, you know, backing, you know, the wrong people, I should say, they don't understand what they're doing. I mean, what kind of country do they want? Do they really want to live in a country that, that they're creating? Do they a want their children? This kind of insurrection. Right. Happens. Yeah. Do they want their children to grow up like this? I mean, do they really want those people that we saw on January 6th? Do they want them to be like that? They want a, a, a government that, you know, that is with these people? <laughs> I just don't understand it. I have more questions for Gladys Sicknick and Sandra Garza, but let me pause and get some reaction to what we just heard because it's a lot. Uh, let's bring in CNN's Jamie Gangel to discuss it. And Jamie, um, very interesting moment uh, when Gladys Sicknick, grieving mother of fallen officer Brian Sicknick, says that there were some tense moments with certain Republican senators, quote, because we knew they were not sincere. Correct. She's, she's the real deal. And, and frankly, I don't know how any senator who met with Mrs. Sicknick and with Sandra did not vote for the commission, but um, she got them. She she was very. She said uh, they were very nice to us. They said all the right things. They knew how to talk to us. Right. They were very charming. Yeah. And then when you asked, but why was it tense? She said because they weren't sincere. Yep. She knew which way it it was going. I, I thought both Sandra and Mrs. Sicknick. I was standing over in the corner watching uh, the interview, were so um, remarkably honest about what they had been through and about the loss of Brian, but also very impressive. There was one message, and that was, I can't believe they didn't do the right Thing, yeah. which is what Mrs. Sicknick said over and over again. And for them, it was really honestly, um, and we have more of the interview coming up, right. um, so people should know that, but for them it was also, it wasn't just about honoring, uh, in Sandra's case, her, her fallen partner, and in Gladys's case, her fallen son, but all the officers. Right. And also, as, as they made clear, democracy. Democracy. They do not understand 
why 35 Republicans could have voted against, we're not talking about throwing Donald Trump in jail. It's the creation of a bipartisan commission. Washington does this 300 times a year, creates bipartisan commissions. Correct. She said at one point, is this the world you want your children to grow up with? In. Is this the world you want, want to create? And I think the point about democracy was so important. One of the things that happened yesterday behind the scenes, which we didn't see, um, Capitol Hill police officer Harry Dunn and Metropolitan Police Officer Mike Fanone were with them and went to all these meetings. And they also walked them around the Capitol. And uh, Officer Dunn introduced Mrs. Sicknick and Sandra to other Capitol Hill police officers. This was personal for them, but it was very clear in your interview, this was much bigger as well. She meant it. This is about democracy. And these are not political activists. No. These are not people who are comfortable with this type of situation. It's actually one of the great honors of being a journalist, as you know, is we speak to a lot of very important people with very important positions right. in government and business. And they're very skilled at talking to the American people, to people like us. These are just authentic, regular Americans who would rather be home with Brian alive. Right. And, and I think you could tell Mrs. Sicknick in real life is a very quiet person. She likes being behind the scenes. I know from correspondence that she didn't want to have to come yesterday. She came at the last minute because she really expected that they would do the right thing. But when it came down to it, this was not easy for her yesterday. She came because she felt that she had to do it. And I can't imagine, look, we know that Pat Toomey would have voted for it, the senator from Pennsylvania, still would not have been enough, but he had a family commitment. Still, there are 10 other senators that didn't vote. Now, look, I don't know what the reasons are. I'm sure some of them had good reasons. People have family commitments, et cetera. But generally speaking, I mean, you look at this list and you look, uh, Marsha Blackburn and Roy Blunt. I mean, there, there were, they, didn't, they couldn't even be bothered to vote? You're more generous than I am. There were two Democrats, I believe, and, and nine Republicans. I'm sorry. This was a historic vote. And it's your job. It's their job. They were attacked. They were there that day. This was about a commission to get to the bottom of it. I don't, it is inconceivable to me that barring the most extraordinary circumstances that you wouldn't show up to vote for this. But for whatever reason, and it's really actually odd, I have to say, I didn't think that this would happen a month ago. I, I thought that Mitch McConnell, who has faulted Trump for what happened that day, very directly, I did not think that he would lead his caucus to vote against this. I, I, I didn't because, well, I don't want to talk about what I thought because it's not <laughs> operative anymore. But this is about a, a direct attack on democracy. It's not just like a riot that got out of control. Politicians and lying members of the news media at Fox and other places spread the lie. They lied to millions of people, millions of whom still believe the lie. Thousands of them were incited to go and try to undermine and overturn an election. 
We've never seen anything like that in this country. Right. And I am stunned that 35 Republican senators voted against trying to get to the bottom of it. Well, you and I have talked about this, I think, for about two weeks now as we've oh, watched it weeks, un- yeah. unfold, yeah. as we've watched the, the politics on the votes unfold. I think it's quite simple. It's about political power. Whether you're talking about Kevin McCarthy or Mitch McConnell, they want to be the speaker and the majority leader. And they can only do that, they think, if they have Trump's base and Trump inside the tent spewing out as opposed to outside the tent spewing in. Correct. Um, With this commission dead, what's next? Speaker Pelosi has talked about maybe having a select committee. She has floated the idea of a select committee. This is something she could appoint. The downside of a select committee is Republicans could now say this is partisan. Right. One of the scenarios I've heard floated is that she could appoint a select committee, but keep it along exactly the same lines of fairness, of bipartisanship that the Republicans, Congressman John Katko, uh, who's a Republican, negotiated. There was a compromise. Everybody agreed to it. What if Nancy Pelosi picks that model? If she has John Katko as a Republican uh, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, Anthony Gonzalez. If she former Congressman Denver Riggleman. Ex- if she sticks to a very bipartisan select committee, that will take the wind out of the Republican argument that this is partisan. We'll see what happens, Jamie Gangel. I wish we were covering a more pleasing adventurous story but it is what it is and it's always great to have you here thank Thank you you, jamie coming up we're going to have more of my interview uh, with the mother and partner of the late capitol police officer brian sicknick uh then the cdc just updated their guidance on masks for children at summer camps will your kids have to mask up while playing kickball stay with us In our health lead, the CDC just released its updated mask guidance for summer camps. It says that fully vaccinated children and staff do not need to wear masks or socially distance. And with this weekend kicking off the unofficial start of summer, Memorial Day weekend, the new guidance could not come soon enough. CNN's Nick Watt reports now that 40% of all Americans are now fully vaccinated, heading into the first normal-ish feeling holiday since the beginning of the pandemic. Three, two, one. This morning, mask mandates lifted across New Jersey. Cruella and A Quiet Place 2 are playing in open movie theaters nationwide. 135,000 fans expected at the Indy 500 Sunday. This holiday weekend, roughly one in 10 Americans are expected to travel. Many airports have already returned or exceeded to 2019 pre-pandemic levels. Meantime, a sobering milestone, one in 10 Americans confirmed infected during the pandemic. The actual number, nearer one in three, says the CDC. Daily case counts are now falling, but so are average daily vaccine shots. Peaked at nearly 3.4 million mid-April, just over 1.6 million late May. Most adults who want to get vaccinated have started the process, say pollsters. We've certainly reached the lion's share of people who are eager to get the vaccine. The willing is the complicated part here. There are a lot of people who are willing, but it's hard for them. I think we can get them, but it's going to take a lot of work. 
California is giving away over $100 million in incentives. West Virginia just announced cash prizes, college scholarships, pickup trucks. Also, okay. emotional blackmail. You've got to get vaccinated for baby doll. That's all there is to it. Now, she wants you vaccinated so badly. She'll give you a high five right now, but you have got to get yourself vaccinated. Nearly half of Americans aged 12 and up are now fully vaccinated, but about a quarter of parents of the under 12 say they definitely won't get their kids a shot when their time comes. Many of the nation's largest school districts will still be offering the option of remote learning come the fall. Now, just quickly back to that new CDC guidance. They're also saying that unvaccinated kids can pretty much roam free, unmasked outside. And they also have a section on their site, the CDC does, guidance for camps where everybody is not fully vaccinated. And the number one thing on that list is basically tell everybody that they should get vaccinated. Jake. <laughs> they should. It's true. Nick Watt, thanks so much. Former acting CDC director, Dr. Richard Besser joins us now. Uh, Dr. Besser, 40% of all Americans are fully vaccinated. That means 60% are not. Do you think life is returning to normal too soon, given that, given that statistic? You know, I, I, I don't. But, you know, I, I worry about focusing too much on that overall na nationwide statistic. What, what I'm interested in is what's going on in, in each community. And I think that should help guide what people do. I, I'm here in Princeton, New Jersey, and, and something like 67% of adults are, are vaccinated. Uh, 14 miles away in Trenton, it's down at 33%. And so, you know, if, if you're looking across the state of New Jersey, we're doing incredibly well at around 60%, but it doesn't talk about the lo local circumstance where, where you really need to say, all right, there's certain communities that you have to step up the efforts in a really big way to increase the vaccination coverage. And for people not familiar with New Jersey, perhaps people uh, watching internationally, Princeton, obviously the home of Princeton College, a very um, educated and uh, wealthy uh, a part of New Jersey and, and Trenton yeah. a little bit more disadvantaged. People not necessarily uh, have connections to the healthcare system and maybe even some vaccine skepticism uh, there. Uh, Dr. Besser, since COVID began, holidays have historically led to a spike in cases. Do you think that we're going to see that a few weeks after Memorial Day? I, I think we're much less likely to see it than we have with other holidays. Right now, the disease transmission rates across the country are as low as they've been since last spring before the, the peak set in uh, with transmission rates or positivity rates that are less than 2%. I think the vaccine coverage rates and the requirements of masks on airplanes make it quite safe for people to be traveling. I'm getting on a plane tomorrow for the first time in, in, in over a year. So I don't think we're going to see the same kind of spikes that we did before. Uh, and I hope that the increasing level of activity and the things that people can do safely if they're fully vaccinated will encourage people who are on that fence, those people who are willing but aren't taking the efforts, encourage them to go out and get vaccinated. If anybody like that is listening, Dr. Besser is vaccinated and is fine. I'm vaccinated and I'm fine. Uh, it's a good thing to do. Uh, the CDC has updated guidance for summer camps, and they say kids and staff who are fully vaccinated don't need to wear masks, don't need to socially distance. But I have to point out, I have an 11-year-old. Kids under the age of 12 are unable to get vaccinated right now. So what about them? Could this pose a risk uh, opening summer camps? 
Well, again, I, I think you, you want to look at your state. You want to look at the community that camp is is located in. What are they requiring in terms of staff being being fully vaccinated? One of the things I love about the, the new guidance from CDC out today is that even in camps that have younger children, most outdoor activities, kids don't need to wear a mask. You're hiking. You're out there playing kickball. You're running around. You don't need to have a mask on. They say for crowded close events outdoors, they do recommend a mask uh, for for crowded uh, swimming pool or for swimming pools, they limit the number of people to, to allow for some distancing. But for most activities, young kids at camp can be kids, which is so critically important. But if they're indoors, they should wear masks. But outdoors, for instance, you're, it sounds like you're agreeing with former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb, uh, who said this this morning about kids wearing masks. Take a listen. I don't think kids should be wearing masks outside. I think the risks um, of wearing a mask and the heat exposure probably are greater than any benefit they're going to derive from wearing a mask. So you think yeah, what? When, when, I, when I hear that, I mean, he spoke before the CDC guidance came out. And I think for activities outdoors where kids are running around and increasing their heat level, yeah, wearing a mask is, is, is not going to be beneficial. Uh, but if you're if you're outdoors and you've got kids packed in together, that's a setting where they're saying you use a mask. I think it's going to come down to judgment at that level because there, you know, frankly, there there isn't the science to to drive it. It's it's what makes common sense. The other piece of it is that there are some people, you know, kids and adults who still feel more comfortable wearing a mask even in a setting where it's not recommended. That's okay too, and and we need to go easy on people who say, you know what. I still want to wear that mask. Yeah, we don't know everybody's personal health situation. Some people might have immunization or uh, immune system problems, etc. Dr. Richard Besser, thanks so much. Safe travels this weekend. As the United States prepares to leave Afghanistan, the same terrorist organization behind 9-11 is lurking in the shadows there and thriving with some help. Stay with us. In our world lead today, a sobering look now at the potential threat posed by an old and deadly enemy, Al-Qaeda. Yeah, them. The terrorist group behind the September 11, 2001 attacks in the U.S. and much more. That threat did not vanish when the U.S. killed Osama bin Laden a decade ago. The terrorist group is still around, still full of hate. And as CNN's Nick Payton Walsh discovered, they are thriving in territories of Afghanistan that are under Taliban control. Al-Qaeda, the reason the U.S. went to Afghanistan, are greatly diminished, the Biden administration said. It's time to end America's longest war. But a CNN investigation has discovered Al-Qaeda very much alive and thriving in Afghanistan, linked to global cells the U.S. is hunting. Senior Afghan intelligence officials tell CNN Al-Qaeda are communicating with their cells worldwide from Afghanistan, getting shelter and support from the Taliban in exchange for expertise, and could be able to attack the West from there by the end of next year. U.S. Treasury in January said Al-Qaeda was, quote, growing in strength here. But Afghan intelligence officials I spoke to go further, saying it's more substantial than that, that Al-Qaeda provide expertise like bomb making, but also in finance, in moving cash around. Core Al-Qaeda members number in their hundreds, most assessments conclude. But it's not how many, but who, which is most telling. Key is senior Al-Qaeda Hussam Abdul al-Rauf known as Abu Musin al-Masri, here on an FBI wanted poster issued in 2019. 
an al-Qaeda veteran. He was in on 9-11 before it happened, said Afghan officials. Now, Mesri crossed into Afghanistan from Pakistan in 2014 and over six years, I was told, moved around different provinces in Afghanistan, something that senior Afghan intelligence officials say would only have been possible if he had the assistance of top Taliban officials. But he was in October tracked down to here, a tiny Taliban-controlled village in Ghazni that we can only see on satellite images. Afghan special forces lost a soldier raiding this compound so fierce with the Taliban resistance. And al-Masri died of injuries here. When they went through al-Masri's possessions, his computer, they found messages communicating with other al-Qaeda cells around the world, talking about operational matters, not necessarily attacks, but also about how soon Afghanistan could be a much freer, easier space for them to operate in. Then something curious happened, revealing a lot about al-Qaeda and Afghanistan's global connections, particularly in this case to Syria. There were two rare US strikes on al-Qaeda cells in Syria immediately afterwards, this one on the 15th of October and another a week later, both in Idlib. A spokeswoman for the US military said they were, quote, not aware of any connection to the Afghan raid, but a senior Afghan official told me they were most likely connected because the Americans asked the Afghans to delay announcing their raid for over 10 days. And during that delay, before the Afghans broke the news, both Syria strikes happened. Strikes on al-Qaeda figures are often announced by Afghan intelligence who present the threat as why the US must stay. A Taliban spokesman rang CNN to say the claims were false and designed to keep American money coming to Afghanistan. He also said the Taliban had agreed to kick out terrorists as part of their peace deal with the United States. Now, Jake, I have to say, in that phone call, remarkable to get an English-speaking spokesperson, Taliban, to ring you to stress their point, shows how sensitive this is to them. They made it clear that they've issued not only an order uh, making their fighters ban foreigners in their ranks, but a secondary one actually making it an offence that you could end up in a Taliban court if you have foreign fighters in your ranks. Very keen to stress that the terror group is kicked out of Afghanistan, but frankly, their assessment is the opposite, frankly, of every other intelligence agency or, or official you could speak to. Jake. Nick, you and I are old enough to remember uh, the Mujahideen controlling uh, Afghanistan uh, in the 1990s when bin Laden first went in. How is it any different? What's changed in the last 20 years? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when we think about al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, we sort of imagine superannuated men hiding in caves, perhaps giving somebody a flash drive with an evil plan on it. That is no longer the case, but they are still a modern threat and Al-Masri, who you heard about there, Al-Rauf, this was a man using Telegram, it seemed, to communicate to global cells. He'd been in Afghanistan for six years. He was still giving information around that it seems to have led the United States to other strikes in other countries. Targets, it seemed, they were seeking as well. So this is very much an organization thriving. We seem to hear every sort of two weeks or so that the Afghans have hit what they consider to be another senior al-Qaeda figure. The core assessment is they could be there in serious numbers in their hundreds, but then there are possibly thousands of extremists there who they could call upon. So it remains a very serious and current threat to the United States, certainly. And one with the US saying they're now about 25% of the way through their withdrawal that is likely to get more space to operate in. And that's certainly what those in Afghanistan and al-Qaeda were saying to those outside of the country Stay tuned. We're going to have freer space to operate in in the months ahead. Jake? 
All right, Nick Payton Walsh, thank you so much for that report. Americans traveling this weekend like they haven't been able to do in more than a year, but prepare for some sticker shock when you pull into the gas station. Stay with us. In our money lead with Memorial Day weekend, marking the first holiday where life for many Americans is returning to normal-ish, so is holiday travel. One in ten Americans is expected to travel this weekend for the start of the summer season, the unofficial start. And as airports see more flyers, there's also an uptick in unruly passengers. Southwest permanently banning a passenger accused of assaulting a flight attendant, CNN Aviation correspondent Pete Montine joins me now. Pete, what do we know about this Southwest incident? I've obviously seen it on Twitter and social media a hundred times. Jake, this is one of the most violent incidents we have seen lately. Southwest Airlines says one of its flight attendants was assaulted on a flight on Sunday when the flight attendant, Southwest says, was just trying to give that passenger basic instructions about putting up their seat back and the trade table. Now, the union representing Southwest flight attendants says this is when things got ugly, and they're calling this a serious assault with injuries to that flight attendant's face, also getting two of their teeth knocked out. Now, Southwest is responding by permanently banning that passenger and also saying it will not resume alcohol service on its flights, something it planned to do starting next month. And and Pete, who are the people who are driving instead of flying? Tell us about them, because they're, you know, they won't have the same violent experiences potentially from crazy passengers, but they're going to have a shock of their own when they go to get gas. The vast majority of people are driving this weekend, Jake. According to AAA, 37 million Americans will travel 50 miles or more during this Memorial Day weekend. And the national uh, average of a gallon of gas, the national average is now $3.04, the highest it has been in seven years. That's a 60% increase from where we were a year ago. And still about a 7% increase from where we were pre-pandemic back in 2019. So a bit of sticker shock here. The Biden administration even releasing a statement saying that $3 a gallon gas is not all that unusual. But people are going to have to brace for this as they go out. Yeah, I'm sure they don't want any fingerprints attached, uh, though obviously their critics uh, disagree. Piedmontine, thanks so much. Coming up next, I will continue my exclusive interview uh, with the mother and partner of fallen Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick. What Republican senators told them about why they were going to vote no to form this bipartisan commission to look into the insurrection. Stay with us. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.